Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So this morning we are continuing our study on everyday joy. And I don't know if it was just... Maybe it was always this way and I just hadn't really been paying attention or, or maybe it was something that because I'm in the midst of this study, it, it, it was something that the Lord decided I needed to focus more on in my week. But it seems like since we started this study over the past few weeks, there are a lot more opportunities in my week to look back and say, well, I should be having joy in the midst of this. <laughs> And to be clear, those aren't like, hey, this is a fun time type of things. This is, man, this is really hard. <laughs> this is a really difficult time for me to be joyful. This is challenging. But then we look back at the, the circumstances that exist in the letter that's being written to the Philippians. We go back and we look at the circumstance of somebody being in prison. Somebody writing and encouraging to other people while they're chained to a guard. I can have joy. This morning we're going to be talking about standards. When I mention the word standard, what do you think about? When I... When I think about the word standard, I, I kind of go to my, my IT background. My, for those of you that don't know, uh, I, in addition to being a pastor, I'm also the director at an IT company. And we service hundreds of small to medium businesses throughout, across the nation. And when I talk about standards and, and that line of work, standards are in a group of standards or metrics are, are details, specific points about a client's environment that we want to be the same. Because if I'm in somebody who's providing technology services to a company, to hundreds of companies, and I only have 30 people to do it, I need those things to be similar. I need them to be reproducible so that one person that's used to doing technology for this company can step into another company and say, I know what the standard is. I know what our best practice is. And so we can, we can duplicate that in this environment. That's a standard. Standards provide reproducibility. Standards when you talk about standards, sometimes you think about measuring up. When you think about standards, you think about comparisons. When we judge the actions of the people around us, which is something we all do, it's not wrong to do that. That's, that we have to do that. We're holding those people to a specific standard. Now, the actions that you do are also held to a standard. As a follower of Jesus Christ, 
my actions are held to the standard of Jesus. And if that were the end and the beginning of the story, that would be terrifying. Because I, I would never measure up. You would never measure up to the standard of Jesus Christ. You can't be good enough to be like Jesus. It just doesn't work that way. What if I sent out an email last night? And just imagine that you were the only one receiving this email. If I, if I sent an email just to you specifically saying, hey, I wanted to let you know Everyone else at Wood Street Chapel has tested positive for COVID, but we're going to have services anyway. Hope to see you there. <laughs> and everybody says, well, it's probably time to go to the live stream then, right? That, <laughs> that, that's the, the comment that it would say, and, and why, rightly so, right? Nobody wants to step into an environment where they're going to become infected, whether it's COVID or anything else, right? Nobody wants to do that. And I could see our uh, Facebook trim getting trimmed down and having you know, that just be the, the headline, Wood Street Chapel infected with COVID. No, that's not, <laughs> what we're, that's not what we're talking about. People don't generally choose to put themselves in the midst of an infected population, right? I mean, that's, that's just common sense. Why not? I might get what they have. <laughs> I might become like them. But the, the amazing thing is that Jesus did exactly that. The, the world, humankind, was infected with a sickness. And in this case, it was sin, not COVID. <laughs> And it wasn't a, I'm not going to get in the middle of that. No, he, he stepped down. He knew exactly how broken we were. He knew exactly how lost we were. And he came down into the middle of it, just like a parent who cares for a sick child. And it's crazy how something so small can change the world. can change a culture, can, can have all of us on high alert, something that's invisible, something that you're not aware of, something that spreads so easily from person to person, something that infects. And it would be very easy to think that I'm talking about COVID right now, but I'm talking about sin. Sin infects. We have all been infected. And Jesus has taken it on himself. Jesus never once, when he came to the earth, tried to advance an agenda that made him feel comfortable. He never once came to earth and said, well, this is going to be easier for me, so let's just go ahead and do it this way, please. But he gave of himself. Not for himself, but for us. And if Jesus, the 
King of kings and Lord of lords, the, the one who is worthy of the glory that we just sang about, can humble himself for our sake, then what excuse do I have? In Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that's the, the text that we're going to be working through this morning. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this passage is interesting because it's not only showing us that Jesus is our savior, he's our rescuer, but it's showing us that he is the standard to which we are called to live. And it's important that it's showing us both. Because like I said before, if we just started out with and finished with that Jesus is the standard, we would never make it. We wouldn't be able to make it, but because he is also our savior, we are able to. And so we're gonna look at, at just how similar being a savior and being a standard is. If we, we look at Jesus as our savior, the first point that we have to recognize is that Jesus is eternal. Sometimes it's easy to, to think that maybe Jesus started, had a beginning point at a little town of Bethlehem, right? Jesus didn't start at the, the little town of Bethlehem. Jesus was there in the beginning. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word is with God. Jesus Christ is the Word, and as we look at, at Jesus being eternal, so he's eternally that way, eternally this way. He was never plan B for humankind. He was never plan B for salvation. It's like, well, everybody messed up, so I guess Jesus, like, can you clear your schedule for a few years? We need to take care of this. Just stop for a moment and try to think about the beginning of Jesus. And as soon as you get to that point, you're infinitely further away. <laughs> and now grasp for just a moment how many infinite times you can go that direction. You can't grasp it, but just try. And, and then stop for a moment and recognize that for a very finite, specific point in time, Jesus said, I am coming to earth right at that moment to rescue all of humankind. Infinity past, he knew that he would be our rescuer. 
Infinity past, he recognized, Matt can't be with me if I don't do this. There's a, a common question that gets asked to missionaries that go to, to third world countries, that go to, to places where there's poverty and, and hardship. Why would you come here? See, people in other countries know that Americans get three meals a day. People in other countries know that Americans have cars that they get to ride in. People in other countries know that Americans have so much extra that they throw things away on a regular basis that, that they would love to have. People in other countries know that there's medicine in America. And so the question makes a lot of sense. Why would you give all of those things up to come and to be with me instead? Because I love you. Because God loves you. And I want you to know that God loves you. It's the same question can be asked of Jesus. Jesus had everything. He was God in heaven, and he gave it up to come down to live on earth as a baby. Why would you come here? Do you not see how messed up we are? But his answer is the same. I came because I love you. because I have the best plan for you. It's important to remember that Jesus isn't like God Jr. Jesus isn't a lesser form of God. He's equal with God, and yet he chooses to empty himself. Jesus was born. The, the track of Jesus that we're going to follow is this valley. He starts in heaven, infinite past. He comes to earth, and we see this, this decline. Jesus was born. It's important to recognize, and this is, this is a hard thing to grasp. This is, this is big theology. Jesus didn't stop being God when he came to earth. He didn't surrender his deity. He relinquished his privileges. He said, yeah, I, I have the power. I could do that, but I'm choosing not to. Jesus came to earth. He didn't stop being God. He was and is God and when he came to earth, he was God and man. He added that aspect to himself. And as we look at how he interacts with creation, we see, okay, so he, he definitely still is God because as he's napping in the boat and the, the storm is raging and the, the disciples are terrified, 
takes one word from Jesus, peace. And the, the wind and the waves say, I know that voice. That's the, that's the voice that called me into existence. That is the voice that, that set the waves in motion. We will do what he says. Maybe that explains why when Jesus commands the demons to come out of the man, they flee. Jesus became fully man while still remaining fully God. And as Jesus becomes man, he became a servant. He serves by washing the feet of his disciples. He heals in the midst of sickness. And the, the, the leper in Mark, when he comes up and, and, and asks Jesus to heal him, while well, everyone else is backing away from the man, Jesus goes and he takes the leper's hand. And after he touches the man, he says, be healed. A man who has never once gone to, who for so long has not been able to experience the physical touch is touched by God and is healed. And there's an interesting commentary that says that there were so many people that came to be around this man who was healed to witness this miracle that this crowd pushed Jesus out of town to the outskirts of town. And it just so happened that he's, he's pushed out to the place where the leper was supposed to be because the leper's supposed to be outside of town. They're not supposed to be in with the people. Jesus took his place. Jesus takes our place as a servant. No one could have defeated Jesus on a cross. It wasn't because of the, the Jewish leaders that Jesus was humbled and put on a cross. The, the Roman government didn't humble Jesus. Satan himself didn't humble Jesus. The cross was reserved for the, the lowest of the low. When the Jews came to Pilate to demand crucifixion, he even pushed back and he said, I don't see anything that this man has done to that deserves that. In our Western world, we, ha we have sanitized the crucifixion. It was a lot messier than what, what we think about. It was probably a lot messier even than, than some of those graphic movies that you see, Passion of the Christ, things like that. It, you know, we, we see, you know, most of the, the artwork that Jesus has a nice little loincloth that's very carefully covering him. Probably wasn't there. Why would they offer that level of dignity? There's probably not very much flesh left on his body. What an awful thing to experience. But Jesus went to the cross not because he did something wrong. He went to the cross because I did. 
Jesus, I, I just imagine this, this conversation that's happening in infinity past, which I understand is, just don't try to make sense of it. <laughs> but, but Jesus says, you, you love them so much that you can't let them just destroy each other. There needs to be rules. There needs to be, be laws that will, will keep them safe. Right? This is a conversation that Jesus and God are having. And so God says, you're right, yeah, we need to have these, these commandments, these laws, these regulations for people to follow. Then the, the question comes, well, what, what happens if somebody breaks that rule? You can't just say, well, well all the murderers go free. You can't just say, well, well, all the rapists go free, all the thieves, all the, the idolaters. You can't just say all of those people go free because you're, you're a just God and, and there has to be a, a payment, a consequence, and you love them. You love them even though they messed up, but you can't just ignore it. You want to forgive them, but you just can't pass over the wrong like it didn't happen. You have to pass over the wrong like someone, because someone has paid for it. I'll pay for it. Jesus pays the price. It can't just be forgotten about. The, the wrongs that we do can't just be swept under the rug. There's a penalty that has to be paid, and Jesus paid for it. Can you tell when you or someone you know is being forced to do something they don't want to do? Fine, I'll do whatever. But I'm not going to be happy about it. My face, my voice, the volume in which I am walking to do the thing will, will all communicate my displeasure at what you're asking me to do. Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Every day, joy. Joy in the midst of the most painful, impossible point we could ever imagine. Scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Even your sin cannot separate you from God. As you look at the, the Old Testament sacrificial process, we're not going to get into all of it, but think for just a moment about the process of having a lamb. And it's not just any lamb, it's a pure, spotless lamb. And you've done wrong things. You have messed up. You've made mistakes in your life. And so you take that pure spotless lamb and you go to the, the tabernacle, you go to the temple, wherever the, the spot was at that point in history to, to make the sacrifice, to atone for the wrong things that you've done. You put your hands on that lamb and you look into its face as the priest kills it. And 
And as I was thinking about that, I've never really thought about it before, but I would feel terrible. I would feel so guilty. Why did that thing need to die for, the, for me? Because I did wrong. This pure, spotless lamb had to be sacrificed. Now, take that feeling, that, that direct, intimate connection and consider the Son of God, the creator of the universe, the creator of you, saying, I'll pay the price. I'll pay the price once for everything. And in paying that price, in giving you my grace, my grace will be enough not just for that moment in time, not just for eternity past, but for eternity future as well. My grace is enough. He willfully embraces the cross for the joy set before him. And at that moment, we see that the, the bottom point of this graph of Jesus' life, if we kind of trace it on earth, Jesus is dead. He's buried in a tomb. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus is resurrected. On the third day, Jesus doesn't stay dead. The resurrection of Christ was the reversal of everything that had gone wrong in the garden where Adam had, had reached out and chosen to elevate himself above God, God came back and rescued his people. Adam and Eve take matters into their own hands and, and now because of sin, death enters the world. And yet when Jesus resurrects, he reverses that. Where sin leads to death, Christ's work leads to life and life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus ascends he doesn't just raise from the dead and continue to walk around on, walk around on earth. He ascends into, head, into heaven. Jesus' lordship does not depend on anyone's acceptance of it. He said, well, I need to start a marketing campaign so that I get some followers and, and we need people to get on board that, that I am in fact alive. No, every knee will bow. There will be no argument or debate. There will be no fear. Every knee will bow on earth. Yeah, on earth is, is us. In heaven is the angels. Okay, that makes sense. Under the earth, 
That means that, that Satan and the demons will bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is our Savior, and yet He is also our standard. We aren't going to be perfect. We aren't going to live the sinless life like Jesus. But it doesn't mean we get to give up. It doesn't mean we throw in the towel. We're called to strive to be like Jesus. Oh, to be like you. I give all that I have to know you. We are not eternal. We're not eternal going back. We have a very finite beginning. But we do have an eternity forward. We will live forever. Every single person in creation will live forever. And where you live forever is based on how you respond to Jesus. Every single person will live an eternity, either in heaven or in hell. Either with God or without God. We, we have a choice. Every single person that walks this earth has a choice. We must be reborn. Our sin has caused spiritual death, but Christ's sacrifice brings life and life eternal. When you were born, did you decide when you were going to be born? How much personal effort and planning and, and thought process did you have to put into being born? Probably not a whole lot. How much work do you need to put in to be born a second time? None at all. Your efforts don't matter. My best is not enough. It's a matter of grace. We must crucify ourselves to this world. Christ was crucified, and yet in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I can't spend my life pursuing the things that Jesus Christ died on a cross to forgive me for. Do you understand how broken that is? Jesus Christ came to earth and died a terrible death on a cross to make a way for me to be with him for all of eternity, forgiving me of the mistakes and the, the sin that existed in my life. How could I in good conscience come back and say, I'm gonna keep doing those things? We are resurrected to a new way of living. The goal is not resurrection and then life as normal. The goal is life change. The, the expectation is life change. He will never out-humble God. 
when it comes time for me to hire and to promote within my company, I look for humility. I look for the person that, that isn't saying, well, that's not my job. That isn't saying, well, isn't somebody else supposed to be cleaning this mess up? I look for the person that doesn't walk past the trash that's on the walkway up to the, the front door. I look for that person that, that is taking initiative, that is, is striving to improve, that wants to be united, that has the, the best interest of our organization at heart. No opportunity to serve should ever be beneath me as a follower of Christ. Christ is exalted. He ascends into heaven. We will be exalted. The prideful in life will be humbled in death, but the humble in life will be exalted. I want to stop for just a moment. Everything that we have talked about this morning, all of the, the things that Jesus Christ went through, where he, he went through this ark, like we talked about, this, this valley, and he arrives at the other side, all of that was done just for you. For you specifically. And it's so easy for us to stop and, and just kind of add ourselves to the conglomerate and say, yeah, yeah, all of us. He, Jesus died for all of us. And he did, that's right. But, but stop for just a moment. I want you to just, just think for a moment about what that means, that Jesus died for you. He had you on his mind. Because he is an all-powerful God. He is an all-seeing God. He is an all-knowing God. He knew you. He knew your name. He knew who you were. And like we talked about last week, he knew every single thing you were ever going to do. He knew every action and thought and word that I was going to, that was going to come out of me. And he said, I know all of those things about Matt, and I'm going to come anyway. And if there is anyone that is here this morning that is not sure about where their eternity is going to be spent, today is the day to get that sorted out. This is not something that we mess around with. Before we move on to the communion uh, table this morning, before we move on to that time of, of recognizing the sacrifice that was made, I want to give an opportunity. I'd like us to, to close our eyes and bow our heads. If Nicodemus can come to Jesus in darkness, then I am totally fine with that process. And again, if there is anyone here that is not sure about where their eternity is going to be spent, today is the day to get that sorted out.
If you're here this morning saying, Matt, I've been, I've been putting on a good show, but, but I don't know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven. If that's you, if, if you have never ha- entered into that relationship, if you have never said, I accept that free gift, that sacrifice that Jesus Christ did, recognizing I can't be good enough to get to heaven. If that is something that you have never done, I invite you this morning to look at me. I see a couple of faces here. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and all of us together celebrate. That there is eternity in heaven for those that have looked at me this morning, God, that there is life everlasting for those that have looked this morning. There's no secret handshake. There's no magic words that that have to be said in order to to get into the club. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we we come this morning, and for those that that are are saying this prayer for the very first time, Lord, we, we accept that you, Jesus Christ, came to earth, that you lived a sinless life, that you died on a cross that that was mine to die on. You paid the price that was mine to pay. You took the punishment that was mine to bear. And you made me right with God. We accept, Heavenly Father, that, that you accepted that payment and that you now see us as being right with you. And that we can, can now rightly come to you and expect eternity in heaven with you. God, we, we recognize that we messed up, but we also recognize that through the blood of Jesus, we have been saved. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go straight into our communion time this morning. In Luke 22, 19 through 20, it's, it's right before Jesus goes into that ind- impossible time, that it, it, impossible season of trial and hardship. He takes the bread and he gives thanks and he broke it and he says to them, this is my body given for you. And I've talked about this before. It never, it, it very specifically says given not taken. This is my body that was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's see.
In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Again, to pour something is intentional. It wasn't spilled accidentally. It wasn't a, a oh, well, how did, this, how did this happen? How did this come about? This was intentional. This cup is the new covenant by blood, which is poured out for you. I'm giving it to you. Let's drink. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 